everybody that's joined, welcome. We're just waiting to get started. I'll leave it to the call of the host as to when exactly that will be. Uh, we can get started now. It's actually good. But yeah, thanks, Sharky, for joining. And thanks for everyone for listening in. So for those who are listening in for the first time, this is a weekly show hosted by GrowSF, a community of citizens building a more inclusive and livable San Francisco, uh, where we focus on educating people on local issues, increasing civic engagement, and publishing election voter guides. Uh, every week, though, we host elected officials, civil servants, and community members from different perspectives to discuss the problems facing our city in San Francisco. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of shared spaces in San Francisco. For those who are unfamiliar, Shared Spaces was a new initiative that launched last year amidst the pandemic that enabled restaurants and small businesses to receive and pay for permits to expand their patronage outdoors and into sidewalks and parklets. It was a lifeline, obviously, for many restaurants during the pandemic that could no longer operate with indoor dining. Uh, recently, the mayor has proposed extending the Shared Spaces initiative to be permanent, but it has received some pushback in the legislative body of the Board of Supervisors. Uh, today, we have the president of the city's Small Business Commission, uh, Sharky Laguna, on. Uh, who's uh, kindly offered to come on and explain more context about the Shared Spaces Initiative and some of the legislation that's happening today. Uh, but thank you, Sharky, for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Really happy to be here uh, and uh, uh, happy to see uh, Joel as well. Thanks, Sharky. We, we look forward to all your expert insights tonight. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's expert, but... Uh, I'll give you the benefit of whatever I got. <laughs> well, we appreciate your time, especially late on a on a Thursday evening. Um, but yeah, let's let's get right into it. Um, so, firstly, Sharky, with the pandemic obviously subsiding, and uh, it's been really great to kind of see kind of the city coming to life again, uh, and we've seen some indoor dining resuming as well. Um, within that context, though, like why why should shared spaces the program continue? Um, uh, and love to get your thoughts there to start with. <clears throat> well, you know, I guess different people have different opinions, but I'd say the overwhelming majority of San Francisco feels like the uh, expansion of outdoor dining in San Francisco during the pandemic was one of the very, very few silver linings uh, and <clears throat> really represents a lot of opportunity and promise that I don't think we've even begun to tap into, but even what we have just now, um, the very, you know, sort of raw basics of this program, it's incredible. Uh, you know, it's, I, you know, I've, I've lived in the city since 1990. And, you know, I think people that have lived here for a long time can forget that, you know, when you're coming from other parts of the country that are often a lot warmer in summer, that the city can feel sort of cold and, and maybe even alienating a little bit. And, uh, you know, seeing everybody out and about and, and eating and, you know, fortunately, like it gets a little chilly, but our climate here is generally pretty mild uh, between 50 and uh, 60 degrees. And it makes it possible for us to have year round outdoor dining. And uh, the city is, uh, objectively incredibly beautiful. And so getting people outside to just sort of 
enjoy the 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 glamour of and and uh, just uh, exquisite uh, beauty of San Francisco is inherently a good thing. Uh, and then when we layer that uh, aesthetic benefit that all the citizens here get that that we all uh, get as as diners when we layer that on top of the benefit to our small businesses which uh, you know it's no secret uh, we're absolutely devastated in the pandemic um, and all the workers that uh, lost their jobs and and these are all workers that are, are vulnerable when we layer um, that benefit to small businesses and the workers that work at these businesses on top of that, I mean, it's it's a freaking no-brainer. But then, you know, I, I feel like the Ginsu Knives guy, but wait, there's more. Um, because uh, not only do we got this benefit to small business, not only do we have this benefit to community, not only do we have more people outside, enjoying fresh air and, and uh, seeing everything that's happening outside. Uh, not only do we get all that, but there is, of course, uh, a global and national environmental policy that we have to pay attention to. And in my mind, this is the first step towards decentivizing the use of cars. And for a major urban city, this is a you know a really big and, and dramatic change to make. Uh, and so, that taking that first step towards decentivizing cars, that's uh, I, I think uh, really important. It's, it's important for the city. It's important for the country. It's important for the globe. And you know, the, as just a practical reality, we're going to have to be doing a lot more of that. Uh, and by decentivizing parking, by encouraging the use of mass transit, it's also another step in the right direction. So, uh, so summarize, guess, um, Shark, you're saying that there's like a three, I heard kind of three main arguments. One was it helps to incentivize like the quality of life for outdoors and, and, and kind of that experience. Second is sounds like it's expanding the for small businesses the amount of clientele or patronage they can have um beyond what's just possible indoors and that's like it was a lifeline during the pandemic but why not keep it going um to increase that ratio and then third is helping us move towards a car-free city and a, a good forcing function for that is that correct that's exactly right <laughs> Cool. So I guess we haven't heard too much of that last part in the public discourse. Um, do you want to expand upon like why that's important and um, kind of how that helps us get to a transit-free, uh, a car-free city? Yeah. Well, so first, I think I should clarify as we before we go on too much farther with, with this conversation. Um, I am a former washed-up professional uh, indie rock musician. Okay. And when, when I talk, it is layered with a lot of F-bombs. I'm just fair warning, if you have sensitive ears, um, you're going to hear a lot of uh, fucks and fucking and fucking fucks. Um, so uh, I, I just, especially when I get excited, I don't know how to talk any other way. We got, uh, we got, we got four of them out of the way, so that's okay. Yeah. So, um, so to answer your question, um, you know, I... So I, I am really a glutton for punishment 
Um, and so uh, I volunteered as, as um, uh, to join the Small Business Commission, and, and I was elected president in January of 2020, uh, just a few weeks before the pandemic really started getting started in earnest. And in fact, the, the first resolution I passed, um, introduced to the commission and, and passed was a resolution encouraging the board and the mayor to work together on policies and, and issues that will help small business navigate their way through this pandemic. Now, uh, in, I think it was June or July of 2020, I also serve on the board of the American Car Rental Association. Um, because my business, you know, what I what, what happened was I, I, I was a washed up indie rock musician and I started a van rental company for touring musicians. It's called Bandigo. And, you know, over a period of 18 years, we became the dominant player in the music industry for helping bands go on tour. Still a small business, um, but we have offices all over the U.S. Uh, and when the pandemic started, I had around 80 employees. So um, I got elected to the board of the American Car Rental Association. And then in July of 2020, I was elected president of the American Car Rental Association. So um, our members include Hertz, Avis, Enterprise, uh, Advantage, uh, Sixth, Fox. Um, you know, all, if you rent a car, um, our members are roughly about 98% of all cars rented in America. And our members buy one out of every seven cars sold in America. We are, as a sector, the largest purchaser and consumer of vehicles in the US. So when the president of the American Car Rental Association says we have too many fucking cars, <laughs> I think we can take it at face value that we really do have too many fucking cars. Uh, yep. And, you know, and, and, and I hope it adds some credibility here uh, that both on shared spaces and, and what I just said, which I've said publicly on more than one occasion, um, and, and uh, I've, I've even been known to say it in, in a rather more gentle way during um, ACRA board meetings. But I, I hope that lends some credibility to what I'm pushing for here, uh, which is, uh, you know, moving towards this future where, where car, we're, we're not having such a car-centric approach to urban life. And it's not necessarily in the uh, interests of my members. It's, it's arguably not even in my interests. But I still think it's the right thing to do. And I genuinely hope uh, that um, in a you know, relatively short period of time, events and circumstances force me to find a new line of work. I think they say that, I mean, they say as co-founders or CEOs of any company, true success is when you automate yourself out of a job, right? Um, so I think you're kind of living to that truism pretty well. Um, but so, so it sounds like, yeah, like you expressed, it seems on the surface, it's a no-brainer. Um, like there's a lot of positives to this proposal. Um, but just, I think, one or two weeks ago, um, the Board of Supervisors, which has to approve it, um, it couldn't get past the committee stage. Um, mm -hmm. I believe the, the mayor is behind, the mayor supportive, uh, Supervisor Haney is supportive. Um, right. uh, but 
uh, it still got blocked in committee. Um, what was the hesitation you feel of those who are blocking it um, uh, when it seems to have some of the supervisors on board and the mayor? Uh, what are their concerns and why wasn't it able to get past uh, that first step? Well, all right. So um, I, uh, 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 so funny enough, I actually just got a text uh, from one of the aides of one of the the, the members um, uh, of that of, of that committee, and they said, "Not not sure who's presenting at this, but for for what it's worth, the parties aren't far apart, and we're all going to work it out." Um, <clears throat> so uh, that is late breaking news. <laughs> Heard it here first. Yep. <laughs> uh, literally came in uh, while you were asking that question. Uh, so. <clears throat> You know, I think, I hope that that turns out to be the case. Uh, I generally, we've all heard the 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 maxim, the or you know maybe if it's uh, maxim isn't the right word, but that San Francisco politics is like a knife fight in a phone booth, um, and and so I think things get. Uh, particularly around the issues that the city in at large cares a lot about, things get very uh, fraught and uh, intense very quickly. And I've, I've been through a few of these now as a sort of a, a quasi uh, official, uh, you know, I, I, I guess technically I'm a city official, but I, I wasn't elected or anything. So I, I have to, on some level, have to recognize the political realities of what people are dealing with. And the way I approach my volunteer position, and, and I've said this to many supervisors, um, particularly when they were very mad at me, is, look, if I'm doing my job right, everybody gets reelected. Um, I'm not here to stick a knife in anybody's back. Uh, there's other folks out there who do the political operative stuff. That's not what I want to do. That's not how I want to spend my time. I want to spend my time pushing for positive change that will um, hopefully dramatically impact the lives of every person that lives here in the city in a positive fashion. And there are folks that really want to get down in the mud and, and turn it into, uh, you know, a, a zero sum game. And I just feel like that there is enough happening in the city that we all agree on that we don't need to spend our time you know, uh, getting into serious fights about the the minor issues or, or you know, comparatively minor philosophical differences on, on how to move forward. And that we just need to concentrate on the basics. Uh, I, I think sometimes we get a little over-concentrated on uh, trying to do, I don't know, world-changing things, game-changing things. And sometimes we tend to forget you know, we need to fill potholes. We need to um, make sure our, our businesses can function. We need to make sure our workers can work. We need to make sure the people that live here are happy. Do you feel so, this initiative is on that end of the spectrum? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I mean, I think, you know, the Chronicle did a poll, uh, a reader's poll, uh, with all the usual caveats about online polls, but they did a, a reader's poll on whether shared spaces should be permanent. Uh, there was 900 plus responses, as, as I recall, and 94% uh, yes. Um, I did a poll on Twitter, and, and I have quite a few haters following me. Um, <laughs> so I, I didn't feel like uh, 
I, I would be oversubscribed in one direction or the other. And, and I got similar results, 92% in, in favor of uh, going permanent. I've heard from other supervisors that literally every group in the city is generally supportive. Uh, there are some questions on the margins um, about various aspects of the policy, how to work out, how to play out in, in reality. And some of those questions, you know, quite frankly, are perfectly legitimate, like absolutely rational, reasonable questions to be asking. So, so in the context of the committee pushback, was was it objections or was it that they maybe get context on what are some of these things that they want to iron out or um, like what were some of either the objections or the things that the thing need more information about? Yeah, so the way I try and interpret the way Paul, I mean, it's really easy to get to this like knee jerk reflexive ref, reflexive space of like somebody's doing something to like fuck me up or it's political retribution or it's, uh, you know, us versus them mentality. And, and in truth, there there often is that somewhere um, in, in the surface. But the way I try to operate is I try to take everybody in good faith at face value. Um, and if they say something, I'm, I'm, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and assume that they're saying it because they genuinely believe it. And <clears throat> listening to, uh, so, so the land use committee is Supervisor Peskin, uh, who's out of D3, which is uh, North Beach in Chinatown. Uh, Supervisor Preston, who is uh, D5, which is uh, Upper Haight uh, down to Hayes Valley. It's kind of a weird shaped district. Uh, and then uh, Supervisor Melgar, who's in uh, my district and Joel's district, uh, D7. So um, <clears throat> the, you know, what I what I think came up is. Um, as this legislation kind of worked its way through, you know, behind the scenes through the supervisors and, and you know, they do a, uh, you know, there's a roadshow where, uh, you know, various members of the city present elements of the, the legislation, mostly Robin Abad, who's a program director, but um, I think I, even I presented to one group at one point and, and other folks presented. And then you get feedback from stakeholders. Um, and I was participating in these stakeholder meetings as early as I want to say November, December. Um, so, you know, there's been already behind the scenes, like a lot of reaching out and listening and trying to figure out, you know, what we can do, what we can't do and what's plausible. So um, I know I'm long winded, but I promise I'm going to answer your question. Uh, so what the i think the supervisors taken at face value um and, and particularly uh peskin and preston so they each have uh, i think are coming to this with with two different sets of concerns so i think supervisor peskin's concern and i hope i'm characterizing it correctly um and if i'm not somebody can correct me later but i'm i'm uh, I would never knowingly try and mischaracterize what somebody's um, trying to get done. But I believe his concern is just <clears throat> uh, it's a big change for the city. Uh, I have said, uh, and I think it's true, it's, it's the biggest zoning change 
to uh, the city's public realm since the 1906 earthquake. Uh, we've never made this much space available to so many people so quickly. And so what he has said is, you know, geez, this is a lot of change and it's really fast. And I would like more time to like, uh, you know, really get into the nuts and bolts of this and make sure that we craft a policy that is carefully thought through all of the issues and, and, and the concerns. Um, in, I think in particular, uh, we've heard some feedback from the disability community. They're, they're concerned about uh, encroachment on uh, sidewalk space. And there's been a few businesses out there in, in fairness and in honesty that, that haven't been careful or diligent about protecting that space and making it accessible to the disabled. So, um, you know, at a top level, that, that was the concern that uh, Supervisor Peskin presented, which is, you know, there's still a lot of moving parts here. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what's happening. Uh, not sure that I'm ready to get behind creating a permanent program just yet. Supervisor Preston uh, presented a, a, a different set of, uh, a different concern, which was uh, he worried about uh, the quote unquote privatization of public space. So our, our roadways are publicly owned and what uh, the shared spaces program, I mean, arguably is doing is, is making this public space available to private enterprise for the uh, purpose of doing business. Uh, and there is a a political philosophy, an economic philosophy that says any use of publicly shared space by private interests is, um, you know, inherently wrong. Uh, so I guess uh, so one one component of that, I guess, to follow up on is the disability access makes sense on sidewalks, but I guess what percentage of shared spaces are in parking spot, traditional parking spots versus sidewalks? Because I imagine, um, if they're in the parking lots, that was space that was like gonna be only used by a car, um, like not a person. Uh, so like what percentage of them are in parking spots for traditional parking spots versus sidewalks uh, to that question about the use of public space being privatized? Yeah, so shared spaces, uh, you know, if you just type shared spaces um, in, um... Uh, Google, as I'm actually doing right now, um, the, the, the first link that'll pop up is the SFGov website. And if you scroll down uh, to the uh, third section uh, called Program Resources, there's a thing called the Shared Spaces Tracker. So this is a really fun tool uh, because it shows you where each and every single one of the applications for shared spaces are in the city. And so currently there's 2,470 uh, applications. Now, some of these applications have uh, been denied. Um, some of them have been partially approved. Uh, some are in progress, some are on hold. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, what has actually been approved, there's total roughly about 2,100 permits. And of those 2,100 permits, roughly 700 or so are in the parking lane or you know a parking spot. 
Got it. And rough, roughly 400, uh, or excuse me, probably closer to 500 are in the sidewalk. And then confusingly, another 540 or so are in the parking lane and the sidewalk. Now, it gets even more complicated. While there are 1,900 approved applications, uh, a, a percentage of these applications, and we don't know exactly how many, uh, because it's very hard to measure this, but a percentage of these applications, the shared space has not been built. So they have the permit, but if you go to the location, there's nothing there. Uh, and there are a handful of instances where people built them, but uh, have some other constraint that's uh, preventing them from being able to utilize their shared space. So, you know, certainly there's there's a couple instances where, where people built uh, the structure and the customers didn't show. Um, and so that's a problem. Um, another problem is, is actually happening in, in D7. I, I visited a sushi place on Ocean, which is just excellent. Uh, really just uh, some of the best sushi in the city. And they have one of the most beautiful shared spaces. And I went there specifically to eat at the shared spaces with my 13-year-old. Uh, 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 very excited about uh, the opportunity to uh, do so. It's uh, Saki-san Sushi and Robata at 1400 Ocean Avenue. Highly recommend it. Uh, so we get there, the beautiful shared space, but there's no tables, no chairs. And I'm like, what the fuck? This fucking sucks. Um, and, you know, we get the food and it's like, you know, pick up. All right, fine. We're sitting around waiting. And, you know, Tommy and I were waiting outside and an uh, employee comes out to grab a smoke. And I said, hey, what's what's going on with the shared space? How come there's no tables here? We'd, we'd be happy to sit here and, and enjoy this. He said, well, we don't have enough employees. Um, and so that's a problem. Uh, there is a, a bit of a la labor shortage uh, happening right now. Now, intriguingly, that's also a clue as to the positive impact uh, that shared spaces could have on our economy. Because if they're creating more demand for workers, that's going to put upward pressure on wages. Uh, and so I think from uh, my perspective, I'm sitting here taking this giant roll of paper so towels away from my dog. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, basically, supply and demand. Like you create more space, which means they can serve more customers, which means they need more workers, but they're not paying them enough. So then they have to raise wages to reach more work, reach more, meet the higher demand and we get higher wages. I mean, economics is a brutal beast. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it carries with it its own internal sense of physics. And anybody that runs a business, um, you ignore those physics at your peril. Uh, so you have to make, you know, really tough decisions about how much should I price my food or my services? Um, how much can I afford to pay my workers? What kind of workers do I get for what I'm willing to pay? What's the sweet spot? And a lot of that's really subjective and difficult. And so business owners whine and moan and complain. But at the end of the day, if we create more demand, I don't see how that's bad for workers. I just don't. Sharky, let's zoom out a bit and talk about what are we fighting for? What is the big vision? What's the dream? You know, we've seen a lot of makeshift things throughout the pandemic. 
but what does permanence look like? And, and like, in my mind, I'm thinking of third street promenade in Santa Monica. I mean, that's something yeah. I can think of as permanent. It's several blocks. It used to be an active street completely taken over, you know, and it's a plaza with entertainment and artists and what you, you name it. Right. So yeah. is that the dream is Valencia's mission? Is it, is it a third street promenade? Um, Joel, I would, I would take that and I'd multiply it by a thousand. Right. And like, and I've, I've actually talked about this at, at, at length and I'm so happy to hear you bring that up. So, I mean, first of all, San Francisco is an incredibly diverse culture. We have the first Chinatown in the United States. Um, we have uh, the Mission, which is, is this incredible Latin cultural district. We now have a leather cultural district in Soma. We have a Filipino cultural district also in Soma. Uh, we have uh, North Beach uh, with its long history of uh, Italian restaurants. We have this incredible culture that's just baked in, burned into the city. Now, you know, I think I told you guys, I, I used to tour as a musician and I would drive all over the fucking country all the time, all the time. And I swear to God, 98% of America, if I picked you up and I dropped you in any town in America, you would not be able to tell it apart from any other town in America. There's a Travel America, there's a Wendy's, there's a Burger King, a McDonald's, there's a Walmart, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe if you're lucky, a little drugstore, like a little Main Street that's mostly vacant. Everything looks the same. And that is something that San Francisco just doesn't have. And I, you know, and this is one of the things that draws people to visit us from all over the world, because you can uh, really just have an incredible array of experiences by visiting here. And so when we think about shared spaces becoming permanent, first, I think about all the different ways to uh, celebrate uh, and, and, and express uh, this incredibly rich culture that we have, um, which is uniquely San Francisco. I mean, our burritos are like nothing else. Um, other cities try, they don't, they don't even get anywhere close, right? So that's-, Sorry, that's what. What is the best burrito place in San Francisco? Taqueria San Francisco, 24th in York, hands down. Beat, we'll beat everybody. <laughs> Fast answer. <laughs> Must be good. Well, so, let's, but let's let's talk about that that promenade example because what I was what I was getting at is I don't is, is the promenade in Santa Monica cool? Is it where people really want to be? Like so, in in early early in our discussion, uh, we talked about how San Francisco is cold, right? Like yeah. And you know, I, I went out with my buddies uh, in the Castro to the, the the German place with the beer, you know, and we were so happy to sit outside. Yeah, it was so fantastic. It was yeah. novel. We we're seeing each other first time. But you know what? We were wearing puffy coats and knit hats, right? Great. So, a year from now, are we? Is that going to be fun anymore? Like, could we create permanent spaces that become kind of ghost towns because everyone wants to be inside? So, like, like we created these plazas in Embarcadero and Levi Plaza and whatnot. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. they're really cool and conceptual, but no one goes. So, like, right. how are we thinking through to make sure that those mistakes don't happen again? So, you know, A, I'd push back that nobody goes to those plazas in, in Embarcadero. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd say on any given reason, half halfway decent day, you're going to see a lot of people there. The ferry building is, is, is very attractive and, and attracts a lot of visitors. But, uh, you know, setting that aside, I mean, just to finish my, my rant beforehand, 
so we have all this cultural stuff, but we also have this long history of artistic expression. I mean, Burning Man came out of San Francisco. And I'm dying to see what the Burning Man artists will do, given free reign with a more permanent shared spaces program. I want to see the, you know, uh, the dancing naked ladies with, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, fire coming out of the top of their heads and, and you know, uh, not, uh, you know, just elaborate sculptures. So there's all these different ways that we can take it and it doesn't have to be generic and it doesn't have to be safe, which I think is a lot of where that promenade is. Um, it's in a, a pretty safe place. Um, to your point about, uh, you know, is it sometimes cold and, and maybe sometimes too cold for people? Um, you know, will, will it get less adoption on colder days? Sure, I, I'm, I'm willing to stipulate it, it. It won't be as popular on colder days. But I think, uh, you know, one, we haven't really fully explored all the options that there are for keeping people warm. I notice right now we're, we're focused on the propane heaters uh, because those are, are uh, mobile, they're easy, they're uh, uh, easy to deploy. You can, you can just go pick one up at Lowe's. But, you know, we have other options here. Uh, you know, we could, for example, uh, you know, do heated benches, heated seats. Uh, we could have structures that uh, have higher design guidelines uh, and yet are still able to be disassembled if we need to get access to the seat. Uh, so, and, and I just think at the end of the day, when you build these things, you give people some place to go. Is it going to be a guaranteed home run at each and every single location? No, I can't promise that. Nobody can promise that. But is it going to be a home run for the city as a whole? And will it be something that we'll be glad we did and we'll still be here a hundred years from now? I, you know, I wish I'd be, I, I was still going to be here a hundred years from now because I would happily take that bet every day of Sunday. How do, we, how do we make sure we're hitting for the home run? Because, right, the last thing I, I would like to see is that we nickel and dime this to the point where it's just, nobody's happy with it. Like, like I don't want shared spaces to turn into Central Subway, which didn't go all the way that we're, we're supposed to go. Like, it should have went to right. Fisherman's Wharf. Like, right. how do we make sure we're hitting for the home run and doing it right and doing it full on and not, not compromising so much that it just, it's not working? Well, step yeah, one is, step one is, is make it permanent as fast as fucking possible. Um, Make make the make a clear path to permanence because the longer you wait for permanence, the more uncertainty you create, and the uncertainty is what prevents people from investing in it and making it look really beautiful and really nice. I, look, we've all been to shared spaces that are exquisitely constructed, and we've all been to shared spaces that look like they were assembled in uh, you know four or five hours by somebody like me who uh, doesn't really understand how to cut or assemble anything. Um, so, uh, you know, I think if we want to enable that vision that you're talking about, Joel, uh, I, I mean, we have to be aggressive and we have to move quickly. And, you know, I, I kind of walked you through what I, I thought in good faith the supervisor's objections were. Uh, what I've said to each of them and their staffs uh, publicly and privately is there is a cost to inaction. There's an opportunity cost 
to hitting the pause button. And that opportunity cost is actually higher than what we gain from the pause button. Everything, all, all of these concerns that have been raised can be addressed through iteration. There's nothing about this permanent legislation that sets anything in stone. And in fact, if, if we uh, dick around too much here, what's gonna wind up happening is, is that we're gonna see a ballot measure. And those of you that are intimately familiar with how the city's uh, laws and legislation works knows that a ballot measure is a very static and difficult thing to deal with. W once voters pass a ballot measure, you can't change it unless you go back to voters. So on, on the one, uh, at surface level, it sounds kind of nice. Oh, we'll get shared spaces and um, it'll be permanent and supervisors can't fuck with it. But like the reality is we are probably gonna wanna make some changes. We're probably gonna wanna make some adjustments um, and those adjustments will make the program more successful and, and will actually make people wanna go out and, and sit outside on, on a day when it's 51 degrees and, and windy and foggy because the, it, it will on some level be appealing and, and, and somewhat comfortable. Hi, this is Sachin. Thanks for listening to the Grow SF Town Hall. We started Grow SF because we love San Francisco and we think we can make it even better if residents learn more about how our city is run and get involved. You can learn more about Grow SF at growsf.org. Sharky to summarize, and, and we're going to move on to the uh, in the interest of time to audience questions as well. Um, so a lot of the points you were making were basically that, uh, and I think it was pretty profound, was that, A, this adds to the cultural vibrancy of the city uh, and as an opportunity for artistic expression and, and the unique expression of the city. B, uh, it can actually help with reducing our dependence on cars. And C, an interesting argument that I hadn't heard before, which was, it incentivizes, it's better for workers, it'll incentivize more higher wages, um, and overall, there's a lot of wins for the city. Uh, and you think the way that we need to get this done now is that we need to move faster and kind of express these positions at a higher, higher emphasis uh, to get it forward. Um, so I think we'll take audience questions now to dive deeper into these, these components. Um, I think the first audience question we had was, is it Stacy, Biking Stacy? Hey, thanks for having me here and ha thanks for having this space. Um, I, I guess mine isn't as much of a question as a, um, a let's press the accelerator um, because I, I view this as being shared spaces as being sort of the, the key that unlocks a lot of great stuff for San Francisco that it makes, as everything Sharky was saying, it makes more um, uh, vibrant uh, places to be in the city, things that are can be more iconically San Francisco, um, and also makes our city safer. You know, that we should have, I, I look at it as pick these great corridors like um, uh, Valencia, 24th, Clement, uh, Castro, that you and and that you make it as car free as possible, and that these shared spaces are the anchor for this to create our flavor of the Third Street Promenade, and that suits each of the areas. 
that's the stuff that's going to bring this to life. It's like when we, um, the thing that I, I view as making it the most successful is to go as boldly as possible so that it is transformative. So it does feel like, holy cow, like I'm in another country or something. I didn't know that we could have these type of things here. And that means I don't want to hear any more about the sidewalks because I want the streets. I don't, the the sidewalks get jacked up because of trees and everything anyway. We should have people, all ADA concerns and accessibility through the streets. Um, it, when we're talking about fire and emergency access, whatever, sure, we can have some sort of carve out, but you know, like we're sort a carve out, but you know, we're a grid. We can get further we they can go other places we can make the path for them bikers and pedestrians can get out of the way cars can't and so i just i would encourage us to go as boldly as vividly as vibrantly forward as possible to really start making this stuff come to light so that people can start to embrace it and we can turn those curmudgeons around and get the city that we deserve. Um, that's Stacy, and I'm I'm complete. <laughs> but you know, Stacy, uh, absolutely. And you know, I just want to um, highlight one point you raised up. Uh, I've heard this from several community leaders. Um, I was talking to the folks that organized the Larkin Street. Uh, you know, the, every weekend they they close down a section of, of Larkin Street, and it's a sort of tie oriented. Uh, shared space, if you will. And, and they, the, the organizer, um, actually it was, it, it wasn't the organizer. It was, it was Simon, uh, from, um, Tenderloin community benefit district. He was telling me that not only is, has crime gone down when the street is closed. Uh, and this is in a very dense area of, of the Tenderloin. Not only has crime gone down when the street is closed, Crime has also gone down when it's opened back up. That just the conversion of the space, even part-time to pedestrian use has uh, kind of changed the mindset of those that wanna engage in criminal behavior and they just don't feel comfortable doing it there anymore. Um, and I've, I've heard this from several uh, folks that have, have activated uh, streets uh, around the city. There's no data to back up or support it it's yet. It's, it's uh, largely anecdotal. But um, I will say that uh, I remember sp speaking to somebody who worked for the city who was in charge of activating public places long before the pandemic. This is about eight or nine months before the pandemic. And they said the best way to reduce crime in a neighborhood was to activate uh, you know, the public space and get families with children in there. So why and does... The, so Chris, how, why does that happen? Um, like, what's the correlation? Or, that's the correlation. What's the causation between the two? Or, Joel, I know you, you lead Crime SF. Like, what, do you have thoughts there as well? Maybe we'll sure. ask Joel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sharky, your thoughts on uh, what's, yeah. the, what's the causation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, ho I hope Joel comes back because I'm actually really interested to hear what he has to say about this. But, um, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think it's it's pretty basic stuff, right? Like it's it's eyeballs, like people are looking at you. Um, and then 
once you're worried about people looking at you and once you uh, associate that space with being a place that has people in it, it's not attractive, an attractive place anymore to commit crimes. But it looks like Joel's back. Yep. So let's ask him because I'm dying to hear what he has to say. Yeah, actually, you know, there's a lot of controversy in the Castro wanting to put up a lot of surveillance cameras, right? We, you might have seen that in the news in the last month or so. But imagine if you had uh, like vibrant and robust open spaces everywhere and, and, and people are just out and about and always around. Like, like Sharky, like you said, those, are the, those eyeballs are better than a surveillance camera. That's, right. that's the best deterrent. Right. That's right. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, that's just like another hidden benefit from this um, that I think becomes more visible over time. And, and it's another reason to lean into this uh, program. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm terrifically worried that we're, we're going to drag our feet. And then, as Joel said, it's going to suffer a death from a thousand cuts. And we're going to turn the program into, um, uh, you know, I think we all remember Parklets 1.0. Right. So, I mean, for, for those of you that don't know the history of Parklets, uh, in 2006, the uh, a group of artists just decided to basically feed the parking meter all day and they put up a, a little uh, uh, pretend park. They put up they put down fake grass, they put benches and, and you know, and, and it really caught everybody's imagination and they called it Parklet. Uh, and in 2009, the city uh, passed a law creating the parklet program. And there was a lot of the same debate that we're hearing now. <clears throat> you know, concerns about the privatization of public space, um, concerns about disability access, and, and concerns about uh, whether this is uh, appropriate for the city to be doing. So what happened was they introduced the legislation and uh, they said, well, okay, you can build a parklet, but you have to clean it. Well, you have to pay to construct it. You have to maintain it. You have to clean it. You have to insure it. And you're not allowed to do business in it. You can't, you can't reserve tables. You can't even bring food out to the parklet. It's got to be a park. It's got to be like an actual park. So that law passed in 2009. In two th uh, sorry, uh, I think it was 2011, actually. Um, so in 2019, I had just joined the Small Business Commission, and um, the folks that run the parklet, it's uh, called Ground Play, uh, they came and presented before the commission. And I was just astounded to discover that, you know, of course, I'd seen the parklets around town, but I didn't know any of the details behind it. I was astounded to discover that this program had been active for eight years and we were averaging about five applications a year. And they, they showed a, a beautiful little map, much like the shared spaces tracker and all the park, like I, I wanna say like 80, 90% of the parklets were in the mission or the marina. Um, there wasn't uh, that I could see any parklets in the Excelsior. I didn't see any parklets in the Bayview. And it, it made me really angry. Uh, and, and I said, "Why? I don't understand why we can't have table service. I don't understand um, why we make people jump through all these hoops. Uh, you know, there's very uh, difficult process to, to actually get a, a parklet approved. And your typical person building a parklet would spend about twenty to $30,000 doing it. 
Now, I mean, the thing that's crazy about it is we now know from a controller's report that just came out, um, you know, at, at that same land use hearing, actually, that the businesses that had an old school parklet in it before the pandemic would on average see a boost in revenue of about 30%. So it was helping those businesses. And intriguingly, the businesses around it saw no change at all. So it wasn't hurting them. Losing the parking space was not making other businesses lose money. It was just simply helping the businesses that had parklets. So I'm thinking, you know, from the perspective of wanting a healthy city, a healthy economy, having lots of demand for workers and, and these kinds of jobs from like a, a worker perspective. I mean, if you're like me, I moved to San Francisco when I was 20. I'm a high school graduate. I don't know fucking shit. Um, I never did get a college degree. I, I did like a semester in art school and that was it. Uh, and uh, I, you know, when I moved to the city, um, I was homeless for a while. I slept under park benches. Only job I'm getting is an entry level job. And, and um, in fact, uh, my first job was selling books at uh, Time Life. Uh, I'd sell mysteries of the unexplained over the phone. And then I got a job as a front desk clerk at the Civic Center Hotel on 12th and Market. And I worked there five years from midnight to 8 a.m. And that was the kind of job I could get. Um, now I'm, I'm president of the Small Business Commission. I'm president of the American Car Rental Association. I mean, arguably, I've done, I've done something with my life. Uh, what I, when I look at myself, uh, when I look at myself, what I see is look at all the potential I had and look how long it took me to realize some of that potential. How many other people out there with potential are we missing? And I'm white, I'm straight, I'm male. I got all these things going for me. And it still took me until I was uh, over 30 years old before I made more than minimum wage. Uh, I think about all these folks in, in the Bayview, in Excelsior, in the Mission. And I think, man, shared spaces, this is it. This is a moment where we can create a fuckload of opportunity for all kinds of people all over the city and give, get them to get a chance to like really start making something happen. And let's really start experimenting and stop, you know, being so precious and preservationist um, about the city. I mean, cities are made to change. So instead of trying to resist the change, let's flow with the change and shape it and make it work for us. Yeah. Uh, I really find so, this, um, yeah. Thanks for the inspirational component Sharky and, and thanks for sharing the story. Yeah, I think the the part that I haven't heard a lot about public discourse is really this thing that you're emphasizing around the 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 correlation to causation around how this actually lifts up the economy and provides upward mobility for, for workers, for wages, and for small business entrepreneurs to really rise up. So thanks for thanks for sharing that component. And there's some time. I want to move on to the next question as well. Uh, Megan, you were next in line. Um, what's your question for for Sharky or the audience? Megan. Oh, okay. Hi. <laughs> um, good to be here, and and yet another platform uh, having <laughs> these conversations. I'm trying to keep up with all of it. You know, I hear you, Sharky, and I think it makes a lot of sense. So, just for those who don't know me in here, I'm Megan Mitchell, San Francisco native, and I live in D10. 
uh, Stacy is my neighbor who just spoke a, a couple of minutes ago. One of the things that I think about when it comes to shared spaces is I think it's a wonderful thing and I definitely want to see more of it and I want to see it become the permanent thing. But my concern is, even though we say that it's a seamless process, I don't quite see it being that seamless for some of the businesses within my community because they are still right. hitting roadblocks. And a lot of those um, have to do with things that it's not really within their control. It could be the fact that when you look at certain corridors within my community, um, we don't have the same situation where we have all these businesses within close proximity. We're in a situation where there's a business here, you walk a couple of blocks, there's another, there's another. Mm -hmm. And then like the neighborhood's not really built for a lot of shared spaces. It's not like right. you can just apply for it and then you get it. You have to, the street has to be built a certain way things have to be done right you know a certain way and then also there's the the money factor yeah you know the application is free but where do we get the money to actually get someone to build something like this and make sure they do it right like these things add up so yep. i'm saying all this because i do think it's possible to create something um in an underserved neighborhood like mine so if you look at the shared spaces map you'll see that I'm, I live in the biggest district in, in San Francisco, yet yeah, there's the, the fewest amount of shared spaces within my community. And to me, that that's an issue. That means that the city needs to do a better job at outreach and providing opportunities to make sure that people within this community can actually, you know, be part of this program and have it look mm -hmm. like it does in all these affluent neighborhoods where, you know, you've got all these murals and everything's all buttoned up and beautiful. And if we can do that and actually focus, instead of looking at the Valencia and all these other places that got it right, and, you know, shout out to them, if right. we can focus a little bit on underserved communities and make sure we get it right here, then I yeah. think that will really, like, boost the ar the argument in, in favor of making shared spaces permanent. Because regardless, yes, San Francisco will change. Things will always happen. This, I mean, we're, this is this is what we're about. We're about change. Like that's that's the history of San Francisco. It's never yep. been the same. Yep. However, there's always some people left out. And and, and when, mm -hmm. we, when you look at this map, it just can't look like this. You can't have the largest district within the city with the less the least amount of shared spaces. To me, that means there needs to be more conversations had, more resources given, and more people that need to um, be won over in order to make this a permanent thing. Yeah. That's yeah, just my uh, my two cents. Thanks, Megan. Yeah, Sharky, so I guess one thing we didn't really cover was yeah, who pays for this? So uh, like Megan pointed out that it seems even once you get the permit, it's the onus is on the business to pay for these installations. Yeah. Is there a part of this proposal where maybe um, either uh, for certain districts or the, the, the city could actually fund the building of these things as well? So great question. Uh, first, I, I just want to speak to a, a, like a handful of the points that Megan brought up. Um, one, when Parklets 1.0 was presented to me, as I mentioned, um, I was upset that there weren't any in, in D10, in D6, and I publicly spoke about it, that's on the record. 
I don't think I've ever spoken about shared spaces um, during any of our commission hearings without highlighting the fact that, uh, you know, the adoption rates aren't the same in uh, particularly D10 and, and D6, uh, Excelsior, Bayview. Um, and to me, that's heartbreaking because that's where the opportunity is the greatest. Um, it's it particularly, uh, you know, Bayview is also the sunniest and, and warmest part of the city. And, uh, you know, the, the folks that have kind of taken the ball and run with it, um, you know, uh, you know, everybody's always talking about Cafe Envy and, and the amazing job that April Spears there uh, has done marrying community and space and food. It, it's just like, Everything like I could not agree more with every single word that Megan said, a hundred percent, a thousand percent, a million percent. Uh, we've just got to like put a disproportionate amount of effort in our most vulnerable communities, and because that's what's going to help uh, get them uh, capitalize on on this opportunity. Uh, so uh, you know, I had a meeting with the mayor along with uh, Manny Yacudiel and, and Ben Blyman. Uh, and we actually made the pitch that the, the city should find $20 million uh, to help fund the creation of uh, shared spaces and, and, and or cover the fees. Uh, and I know that uh, there was a program that was launched. I, I can't remember the exact amount. Uh, it was after our meeting. It probably, I, I'm not going to take credit for the program because I'm sure it was uh, in development long before our meeting, but I, the, I'm also aware of, I've spoken to a couple private organizations. Um, one, uh, gentleman said that, uh, he would be willing to put up 50,000. I heard an, another, uh, folk, uh, person, uh, tell me that they, they they're good for 10 or $20,000. I mean, these are, you know, relatively small amounts, but these could help some of these businesses who to, to make that initial investment. And so, I, I mean, something that kind of gets lost in the mix here, when we talk about small businesses, people are like, oh yeah, small business, like my, you know, like Megan was saying, like my favorite, you know, Thai restaurant in, you know, the Mission or in the Marina or in Haight or Nopa or, you know, Sunset. But there are businesses along the Third Street Corridor where if they have a thousand dollar profit margin in a month, they're feeling pretty good. That that's like that's what they're shooting for, and those are the kind of margins that they're they're working with. So building a space that's you know going to cost minimum five thousand dollars, and then on top of that you have to pay a permit fee, and then you got to get insurance, and you got to navigate uh, this process. And then you're essentially building a space in a place where there's not really, as Megan pointed out, these businesses side by side in this sort of like red, readily accessible community. But, I mean, it's kind of like we, we've got to do everything we can to encourage that because it, it's like planting a seed in a cornfield. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just making the possibility for something that can happen. Uh, that wouldn't otherwise happen and, and just, you know, creating a space for people to be uh, it actually helps 
make the rest of the commercial corridor more economically viable. It increases the foot traffic. It brings more people out. You know, people start meeting their neighbors. They got to start having a reason to, you know, want to go out there. You know, next thing you know, they're out there, you know, reading their phone or, uh, you know, maybe even a real book if, if they're uh, a real intellectual uh, and, you know, enjoying the day in the warmest part of the city. Um, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you've got a much more lively corridor and more reason for more entrepreneurs, hopefully from the community, grassroots that come up and build, start to build their businesses. And then now you've got a whole generation of people who were otherwise left out of this economic process. You've got a whole generation of people who are now becoming economically self-sufficient and self-reliant. And I can tell you as a washed up musician, formerly homeless, uh, fired from every fucking job I've ever had, uh, being a business owner dramatically changed the course of my life uh, because you can't fire me. Uh, and once I got it to a place where I could make a living and, and raise my family, it, it, it really just changed how I interacted with the world. And I want that for everybody who, who wants to take a swing at it. I, I, I want it for everybody. Uh, and I view shared spaces as an opportunity to kind of hit the reset button for a lot of these neighborhoods. And Megan is 100% right. 100% right. We've really got to lean into that. Uh, and we've really got to help these communities that struggle with language issues. Um, you know, that's a big thing. Um, you, you know, just trying to make sure that uh, they can navigate this process. Um, at, at the Office of Small Business, they have staff full-time who do nothing. Like most of the people that come to the Business Assistance Center are um, not native English speakers. And they need help, like, kind of navigating this process and doing it right. And that's exactly what we do. And I've been grinding on the city to increase the budget for the Office of Small Business because my working assumption is over the next year or two years, we're going to see a lot of people starting businesses. And we want to make sure that that opportunity is available to everybody, not just, you know, the folks with a lot of money and, and already know what they're doing and are smart. So, um, Megan, um, there's an open door at the Small Business Commission anytime you want to come present and um, talk about these issues. And if you want to uh, bring in some people, we can put it on the agenda uh, and, and we can start to wrap our heads around like what we could do to help elevate that. I've done that with, with many community organizations. Um, and also I would say um, commission or no commission behind the scenes, if there's any fricking thing I can do to help or assist you, um, any connection I can make, if, if, if there's um, any sort of policy that I can help push or promote, I got your back a thousand percent. Thank you, Sharky. Uh, um, no, 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 no. It's actually so saying that. I think, um, who was that? Was that Joey? I think somebody just keeps unmuting accidentally. <laughs> yeah, I was saying thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. And I know how to get a hold of you. And I will get a hold of you because we definitely need to talk about this. And let's get it right. Because I believe in this program. I think it's great. And I remember, you know, 
many moons ago when people were looking to do parklets and it was just like this crazy process that took a really, really long time to make happen. So, you know, ultimately this is, this is a great program. But as I always say, in terms of outreach with San Francisco, there is no one size fits all approach. We have no. to tailor it to each community. And the more we do that, the better we're off. And we got to get the people, we got to get the underdogs to, to champion these new policies first. And that means we focus on them instead you know, and of people who already have it. Yeah, you know, and that brings up another thing. Uh, you know, so when we talk about this legislation becoming permanent, um, you know, I, I think it is very carefully crafted to leave a lot of room for variation um, even at the block by block level. So I think a lot of people get hung up uh, around the axle that, oh, you know, this legislation um, <clears throat> doesn't specify how many shared spaces there should be per block or how high they should be or what color they should be or what the design is. Um, it doesn't specify specifically, uh, you know, what the individual uh, requirements are, whether it's ADA or uh, fire code or, um, you know, what hours they'll be open. And that's actually by design. And we, we actually want it that way, right? Be because to, to address some of these issues that Megan is talking about, we need an extremely flexible program that can adapt to the unique needs of each neighborhood. So for example, North Beach, um, parts of North Beach, uh, the streets are barely wide enough for a single car to go up, uh, you know, with all the parking. Um, and so <clears throat> there's a concern expressed by, by some folks in North Beach that when the, uh, because of the density of, res uh, of restaurants there, uh, and North Beach has more restaurants than any other uh, neighborhood in the city, uh, that there's no place to actually um, cross the street. Uh, and no place to park and uh, e even just to drop somebody off. Uh, and so, you know, we've, we've, I've heard from members of the North Beach community that, you know, we need some adjustments to the shared spaces policy to, to make it work for North Beach. And then you hear a completely different, different set of concerns from Calle de Cuatro or uh, uh, Meta the, and the folks in the mission about what they're hoping to see for their community. And you realize that if you try to put some of these concerns in the same leg legislation, they become mutually exclusive. There is no way to craft citywide policy with the level of granularity that's needed to address each and every single one of these issues. And I think a lot of people look at this legislation, uh, they hear, oh, it's permanent, and they think, oh, they're making what I'm seeing right now permanent and that it's just gonna be like that forever and it's not gonna change. No, that is not what's happening here. All that's happening here is that we're creating a permit that is granted for one year. So permanent should probably have quotes around it because you could lose your permit if you, if you start fucking up in some way. Um, and you could, uh, uh, have the permit uh, taken away or, or, you know, maybe just get tired of paying for it and don't want it anymore. But the point is, is that the program just creates a permit. It just says who's in charge of authorizing the permit and how much the permit will cost 
and who who has a say in whether the permit is allowed to continue. That is it. Everything else will be in rules and regulations, and that has to happen at a very granular level, and it may be different from block to block. Uh, and uh, that's a conversation that's probably better had at the hyper-local community level, uh, because each and every neighborhood is gonna need something different to really get, get this thing humming and, and working properly. So, um, you know, that's like just a, a, a people get really hung up. They think permanent. They think that this is, you know, sort of just putting a rubber stamp on everything that exists now. And that's not what's happening. It's, it's just step one of a process, um, a, a new experiment for San Francisco that we're, it's, there's going to be a lot of iteration and a lot of changes as we refine this. Um, but it's very important that we take that first step as quickly as possible. And, and you know, I, I think I should say before we lose too many listeners, because uh, I know it is getting late, this next land use hearing is on Monday. Uh, the hearing starts at 1.30. <clears throat> it is critical that not just the three supervisors that are hearing this hear from the public, but all of the people that call in all of the people that, that speak in favor of shared spaces, supervisors that aren't at the hearing take note. Uh, we had the small business community turn out for the last hearing. Uh, and I, there's about three or four hours of public comment. Um, and the hearing didn't end until it started at 1.30. It didn't, uh, I don't think we were done with shared spaces till close to eight o'clock. That's unprecedented for small business to turn out in public comment. I mean, you were, you'd be lucky if you could get four or five people to turn out for public comment in years past. Um, and now we're regularly turning out, uh, you know, uh, large numbers of people. But I think on this one, we also, it's really important that we just, we hear from the public because I, I think it's really the public that's very excited about the opportunity that shared spaces creates and we need to, make sure that supervisors know that we, we have their back if they support it. Uh, and, and it is important that we move expeditiously. Thanks, Sharky. Um, that was actually gonna be my last question to close off is how can the audience help? So it sounds like it will be helping the public comment this coming Monday uh, at the land committee meeting. What time is it? So the hearing starts at 1.30 um, or meeting. I can never figure out what it's called. Um, it starts at 1.30. I don't, uh, we're, I don't think the agenda has come out yet. Typically, the agenda posts on Friday. I could be wrong. <clears throat> um, I where, can suspect, they find the, where can they find the details on how to join? Uh, so <clears throat> the uh, Land Use Committee, if you type in just Google uh, Land Use Committee San Francisco, uh, it should, the first link will be um, the SF Board of Supervisors website. Okay. And uh, Google helpfully shows an agendas and minutes link. And if you click on that, and sure enough, there's the agenda. All right, so, um, uh, you know, if you actually just go on my uh, uh, Twitter feed, what I am going to do is I will just uh tweet out here land use committee great agenda so follow sharky on on twitter and you can get the information on 
how to uh, public to participate in public comment on this coming Monday at 1.30. Um, so I think in the interest of time, uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, Sharky, thank you so much for joining and walking us through the Shared Spaces Initiative, um, uh, the history of it, um, some of its benefits and critiques and uh, ways to improve. Thank you, Stacy and Megan for participation and, and your questions around how do we make it more equitable and ensure access to different communities and be considerate of both uh, the components of who has ability to pay for it and the, the personalization for different districts as well. Um, this was a really great discussion. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone else for participating. Uh, and again, reminder on Monday will be uh, the next land use committee meeting where the Board of Supervisors, our legislative body, We'll be discussing the next phase of potentially making this uh, this shared spaces initiative uh, extended and permanent. I uh, feel should definitely join in on Monday at the public comment uh, to help show your support if you're interested in or, or whatever perspectives or opinions you have. Um, thank you, everyone, and thank you, Sharky, again, and Joel, Stacy, and Megan for participating as well. Awesome! Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Hi. Thanks for listening to the Grow SF Town Hall. Now more than ever, we need to support our small businesses. They have struggled to stay alive through the pandemic and need our help to get back to 100%. So please shop local, eat local, and if you can, tip big. One great thing that happened during the pandemic was outdoor dining. It allowed many restaurants to operate in a limited capacity. We don't want outdoor dining to go away. GrowSF is making a big push to make outdoor dining permanent. Please visit growsf.org to sign our petition and to learn more. <laughs>